Everybody. Welcome to the July 22nd, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on everyone's talking about right now, Donald, Trump, Donald Trump's acceptance speech on Thursday night. Pat Calhoun from Westward, we'll start with you. Uh, again, we're doing a quick round on this. Uh, initial impressions. Well, we'll be quick, unlike Donald Trump, who went on and on and on. You know, I loved his appearance Monday night when he came out to We Are the Champions and he kept things short. He would have been advised to take a key from how well he was received then and cut this one short. It was like watching the Prince of Darkness for more than an hour, just getting gloomier and gloomier. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. I even saw Republicans on Twitter last night uh, wondering, I didn't realize we lived in Gotham. What do you think? If you like being yelled at by someone who will lie to you and who has contempt for the Constitution, you have two great choices this year. <laughs> A succinct way to, to analyze that. Thank you, David. Eric Son, political uh, analyst, joins us. Uh, it, the speech was all about fear. It, let's forget the normal script of let's bring everyone together and be happy, shining uh, city on the hill. This was the world's awful and the only solution. Can that win in the general? Probably not. I thought it was a tremendous blown opportunity. We taped this show at noon on Friday, and I'm told the speech is getting ready to wrap up. But it's, <laughs> it just seemed uh, in, in, interminable. I actually thought at the very start he might have the makings of a theme, which is I'll tell it to you straight, I'll tell it to you the way others won't, I won't sugarcoat it. I said to myself, hmm, this could be interesting, this could work, this could be a ticket to November. And as with most things Trump, that lasted for about five minutes, and then it just wandered and wandered and got darker and darker. Political history, now maybe Donald Trump, he's defied it all the way, maybe he'll continue to defy it, but political history is that optimism wins hope and aspiration win. You can look at presidential election after presidential election. The more hopeful candidate emerges victorious. Obviously, he's flying in the face of that. Natasha Gardner, senior editor at 52A Magazine. Were you surprised by the endorsement from the Optimist Club later? <laughs> no. <laughs> One of the things I think was a problem was it was like going to a headliner concert and expecting the main act to be good, and it was really the pre-show that was great. Amanka had to really set things up, and then the person who came on stage didn't feel like the person that she had talked about. One interesting moment for me was, uh, you know, well into the very long 75-minute speech when he finally, um, there was a chant that came up that was, yes, you will. And I think when you look at that in comparison to the yes, we can chant, just a simple change of words there really says something about a political mood in this country right now. Mm -hmm. Well put. For political junkies like all of us, the Republican National Convention was even more entertaining than anyone could have expected. Let's first tackle the boisterous role Colorado delegates played, leading two failed attempts to change the voting rules and being relegated literally to the back of the room, sitting even behind representatives from territories. Uh, Patty, I, uh, frankly, I like to see Colorado in, in a role that was obviously uh, leading a, was not going to be a successful charge here. What did you think of the role the Colorado delegates played at the RNC? I have to say, I loved it. You know, that set the tone on Monday when even before we got to the big speeches, we had them 
along with the Colorado delegate, along with Iowa, walking out. Although, really, who could tell? Because it's true. They were seated so far back, they were almost impossible to see. But you know what? They, what I loved is they gloried in their rebellion, that the fact that Donald Trump had accused Colorado of, you know, all Colorado of being rigged, of being crooked. Well, I'm glad these guys went to the wire and went for what they believed in, that they led the free the delegates vote. It didn't work once. It didn't work twice. But they stuck to their guns. And they really gave that early part of the convention a lot of liveliness. David, do you think the the treatment of the Colorado delegates, because it, not only did they, you know, uh, state their opinion, it didn't work to make any change in any minds or the rules of the convention, but they were also booed and, 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 and I don't want to say abused, but definitely got the attention of uh, the Trump campaign. Is that going to make a difference? Is that going to have an effect in the general election and how it is campaigned here in Colorado? Yes, it's going to help the down-ticket Republicans by their, their strong separation from Trump. Notably, Senator Cory Gardner has not endorsed Trump. The former chair of the Republican Party, Ryan Call, has also refused to endorse Trump so far. By the way, there's nothing wrong with being seated behind delegates from the territories, such as the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico. They're American citizens, too, and they don't have to always uh, sit at the back. The Colorado sign is going to is already going to the Smithsonian Museum because of the historic walkout the Colorado delegates did on Monday. And the votes on Monday were not just about free the delegates, they were also about reform of the Republican National Committee. And here's an important thing for the people who voted for Trump in the theory that he was anti-establishment. The core of the Republican establishment, the Republican National Committee, has no real ideology other than the maintenance of its own power and they and Trump were very much aligned on that they were it was the establishment together uh, trying to crush the reforms not only for the delegates but just on the internal party procedures and take some power away from the RNC and devolve it down to the the grassroots uh, the delegation stood strong for the 65,000 Colorado Republicans who turned out to caucus on a snowy and cold night in March, and they stood up to the bullying and to the lies which said that nobody had voted uh, to chose them. They were chosen by the grassroots, and they represented them very honorably. Eric, I saw a couple different reports, one on Twitter talking about how uh, uh, Donald Trump's campaign at least assured, oh, don't worry, we're going to send busloads of people to Colorado to help uh, get the ground game going, to, to help make this happen. I don't know if I can believe there's going to be any ground game whatsoever in Colorado if this is how the delegates are treated to this point, and this is the attitude generally to the state, and you have a campaign that's already focused on, I guess, what he's going to create as swing states in his mind of being the Rust Belt. Do you think at this point what we've seen from his treatment of Colorado Republicans, that Trump is going to write off Colorado? There's a premise to your question, which is that Trump has a ground game anywhere. <laughs> Um, the organization is not exactly a robust organization at that point. But your question is, is still a very good one. It's all going to be driven by polling, Dominic. If we get to late August, early September, and Trump is within shouting range in Colorado, yes, they will invest resources here. But my supposition is that that is not likely to happen. The Trump strategy, witness the Mike Pence pick, the Trump strategy is a Midwestern Rust Belt strategy. It's a swath from from uh, Pennsylvania to Ohio to Wisconsin to Iowa. And if he can turn those states and Florida, that's an electoral college majority. 
put a huge if on that statement, particularly some of those states that have not voted for a Democratic presidential candidate in, in, in a Republican, in, excuse me, a Republican presidential candidate in, in quite quite some period. But that's the. the that, that's the strategy. I mean, I agree with Patty and David. Good for Colorado, good for sticking to their guns. I thought the whole effort was probably overhyped in the beginning. It was not destined for success. Uh, it was under-resourced, and it was easily, relatively easily quashed by the Trump majority. But nonetheless, they stood up for it. All of this, in my mind, is a lot of noise. There, uh, conventions, yeah, they're four days, four nights. There's a lot of hoopla. But in terms of what really matters, there are very few things that really matter. And the one that eclipses all of them is the nominee's speech. That is what determines the success or lack thereof of a convention. And that's why the stakes were so high last night and why it was such a missed opportunity for Donald Trump. Natasha, uh, Eric brings up a good point about conventions not really deciding the, the elections. It's, it's part of the political theory we're all talking about right now, but when people get into the, the uh, uh, voting booth in November or have it on their kitchen table a couple of weeks before, it's not about what they saw Monday night at the convention. But from what general election in, uh, unaffiliated voters, when they're looking at this convention and they're seeing Colorado make the stink it did, uh, what impact do you think that would have on uh, general election unaffiliated voters that are just kind of watching as a voyeur of the convention at this point? Well, it changed the news cycle pretty immediately. I think we're all used to conventions, you know, the, whatever party gets that bump afterwards because there's been days of spreading their message and spreading their idea of unity and this is what we stand for. Right away, by doing what they did, the Colorado delegates were saying that's not, that's not what we believe in and that caught the news cycle on that first day at a moment where it did gain, garner quite a few headlines, not just here in Colorado but throughout the country. Um, I think one of the interesting side effects of this is kind of the question of well, what role do these conventions hold now in the in the future, and and they're such an established part of our elect election system. But does this past um, four-day period change that, or change the way that they will be run in the next um, few years? And and certainly, I know between what the <laughs> what the Colorado delegates did and House of Cards, I've spent more time <laughs> googling how these conventions actually work. So if anything, it's providing a civics lesson that some of us. Did did not get in third grade. <laughs> <laughs> a, a little bit of a bizarre civics lesson, civics lesson. if, if uh, uh, Lewis Carroll had maybe drawn up uh, what a convention should be like, that, uh, that kind of thing, but I get your point. Continuing our look at the RNC, other highlights include a Daryl Glenn speaking opportunity, Ted Cruz refusing to endorse Donald Trump during his primetime speech, and a speechwriter falling on her sword after Melania Trump quoted Michelle Obama twice. David, you know, we just got done talking about how the conventions don't decide elections, but they do decide momentum. When you look at the RNC as a whole, from everything that we saw, what do you draw as the, the key points, the momentum that people should, are, are pulling away from this event? Well, Daryl Glenn helped himself, I think. It was a, a good, pretty you know, mainstream, conservative Republican speech, and, and mm -hmm. he, he delivered it well. Cruz saying, vote your conscience for people who you believe will defend freedom and the Constitution is a principle that ought to apply for every voter in every election. Um, and it's sort of telling that the pro-Trump people think that that was, oh, well, that you're saying to vote against us then. Um, it's certainly not going to help Hillary. I mean, Hillary saying, vote your conscience is like William Howard Taft saying, vote for slenderness. <laughs> if Cruz's delivery and tone had been as good during the primaries as they were Wednesday night, he, he might well be the, the nominee. 
And this thing about Melania and Michelle, as you say, they've both described their parents in nearly identical terms in some ways. And I think the obvious thing to ask is, well, maybe they're sisters. <laughs> I think it's about time we saw the birth certificates for both of them. <laughs> Between birth certificates and William Howard Taft Smack, you're just going to find things you can't find anywhere else right here in Colorado Inside Out. You're welcome, viewers. Uh, Eric, uh, of, of all the things that weren't Thursday night, uh, what were the highlights for you? And anything that you think will have uh, a lasting effect? Maybe not till November, but at least for a couple of news cycles. Oh, a couple quick thoughts. First of all, touche, David. Well done. Uh, <laughs> For Daryl Glenn, I mean, I have to be honest. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, that was Daryl Glenn's speech. Uh, it might have been a fine speech for the audience. It got a decent reception on the floor, but the audience wasn't the floor. The audience was supposed to be back home in Colorado, and none of the network, networks covered it. So uh, to my estimation, it's a big, uh, a, a big so what. Uh, a couple other uh, takeaways. I was somewhat distressed. There's no one around this table or probably around town that's been more critical of Hillary Clinton and the corruption that seems almost attendant to her. But yet there was something off-putting about this convention, the constant refrains of lock her up, the Chris Christie speech where, the re where it was a recite and response kind of deal and it was always the guilty, guilty. I mean, America has not historically been a country where what one party wants to do to the leader of the other party is throw him in jail. And we seem to be almost heading down that road in our anger and our alienation and our polarization. And I found that, and this is no brief for Hillary Clinton, but I found that uh, to be disturbing. And then I'm, uh, my main takeaway from this convention is what could have been. Remember where we were two months ago when we all thought this was going to be the historic convention? This was going to have had the potential to be multiple ballots with a real challenge. And obviously uh, events unfolded otherwise, and it turned out to be anything but. And it was hard watching. For, you know, I forced myself to do it given my role, but it was hard TV watching a bunch of the time. Now, I, I agree that the it's not even just about optimism, but it's almost as if you want to say, okay, let's grant this. If your enemy doesn't exist, now what? And if that was taken away as a subject matter for that convention, exactly. it, it'd be a couple of Trump speeches from his kids, not him, and that'd be about it. So I, I, I get your point there. Natasha, um, we saw the different elements uh, throughout the convention. Again, it's more of what you pull away from the, the entire event. Was there a highlight for you that wasn't Thursday night that struck a chord? wasn't Thursday night. If it was Thursday night, it would be Ivanka. I think she did a fantastic job of bridging um, the groups. I, I, I think Cruz's speech, maybe not a high... I don't know how to characterize it. I think it depends on how, how you feel about what he said. But I think that's something we're going to talk about for a long time. Um, one of the things that I think was missing from all of this, and this is less of a political analysis and more of just as an American how I feel about the conventions. You know, they're always paired around the time of the Olympics. It becomes this really mom this moment of patriotism. So whatever party you believe in, there's a sense of putting out policy. Where's our country going? 
going? What are our plans for the future? In the midst of this sort of global competition and how America plays into it. And, and I've loved that since a kid. It's one of my first memories when I was four years old watching both the conventions and the Olympics. And I'm sitting there with my son, who's nearly four years old, and I put him to bed before those speeches. He didn't watch them last night. And I'll be fair, and I'll do that again next week as well. But it's sad that I, I don't feel like that, that spirit is in the air this summer. And that's, that's something that America is missing right now. Uh, Patty, there were a lot of uh, wacky moments over the week. Um, I think my particular surreal highlight was after the Thursday speech and the DJ in uh, the arena for some reason played all right now, right after the speech. And then the Stones, you can't always get what you want. For, for surrealness, that just, you've got to be kidding me. For, for things that weren't Donald Trump's speech, what were the things that hit you? Well, certainly the soundtrack. We were laughing over You Can't Always Get What You Want last night, too. Uh, I thought the amazing, what was amazing is there was no lightness to this at all. When you think about Ronald Reagan and mourning in America, why couldn't we have had some lightness? Why couldn't we have had some optimism? That would have played much better than... It's midnight in America, which is really what we got instead. So I thought they missed a boat on that, uh, missed a beat. I thought Trump's two appearances that weren't his big, um, his big speech, his big really, really long, boring speech, were funny. I mean, I thought when he came out into the audience during cruise, that was really um, entertaining. The real, the real highlights of this convention were clearly the comics who did provide the lightness and the brightness at the end. But look at all the material they had to work with. That's true, an embarrassment of riches indeed. Ed Seelow of the Denver Business Journal reported on Thursday that due to a potentially crowded ballot and weak fundraising for signature gathering, Colorado Priorities has dropped its statewide Tabor ballot initiative for this year's election. Eric, i got to tell you, in a week that was all about the RNC, this move shocked me because nobody knows exactly we love to play as if we do. It's almost the kiss of death if CIO says it's going to be this way in two months. But... There's the, the potential that we would get to September with Trump behind by enough points where he's not investing in Colorado, that Daryl Glenn is still trying to raise money against a very well-funded U.S. Senate incumbent, and so much oxygen being left in the room that there is not a lot of a big fracking fight on the ballot, uh, that there's still a lot of room for a particular ballot issue that can get some funding to really get some notice. And this one, it seemingly, it seemed like a pretty good environment, but... Uh, it will not be this year. What do you think? I agree with a lot of what you said, Dominic. I think it was a good environment in terms of people being able to focus on it, along with a huge glut of other ballot issues. I agree with your analysis. I think the ballot this fall is likely to focus around ballot issues, as well as the Kaufman, um, Morgan Carroll race out in Congressional District 6. I don't think Colorado is going to be the ultimate purple swing state that we're used to being over the past uh, several cycles. So I thought it was a surprising fizzle. I had thought that this measure, the Tabor reform measure, was supposed to be a capstone, a capstone for John Hickenlooper's governorship, a capstone for Dan Ritchie's longtime uh, investment in, in, in civic life ar around the state, and a, and a worthy capstone for both of them and for a whole lot of other people. I have to believe, call me cynical, I have to believe money was soft because money is being pulled into a lot of other ballot issues, but more than that, polling had to be, polling had to be soft. Let's not forget that Tabor was passed into law 24 years ago, 1992. What was 1992? It was the year of Ross Perot. 
Here we are in the year of Donald Trump. Not the same people, not exactly the same dynamics, but anger out there is ramped up way high. And I have never been convinced that this was the year to reform Tabor when it was a similar year that gave us Tabor. Natasha, uh, I'm, I'm stealing a phrase that Eric likes to use a lot. Is this time to keep their powder dry and fight another day? Yes, and it at least gives us something to talk about for possibly years now. <laughs> um, it's certainly a favorite topic on uh, at this table, and for, for good reasons. But I think the, the interesting point of, you know, time. So we're more than two decades into taper. So we, we've had a chance to see how it fluctuates, both in boom and bust periods. And with the way Colorado is booming right now, I think this is a very difficult conversation to go back to voters and say, no, you don't want this thing that'll give you back money. <laughs> no, you don't want this thing that'll make you give you more money to be be able to reinvest back to the state. It's a hard messaging point at a time when I think Coloradans are pretty focused on the growth that we have. Um, it's always a dry topic. We know that. Does that mean that we aren't going to address it at the ballot box at some point? No, I think we will. It's just a question of whether it's one year from now or two years or four. Patty, do we simply just priorities, uh, Colorado priorities simply need to uh, wait for a cheerier electorate? Well, I'm not sure we're going to see a cheerier electorate, especially after November. I mean, we're going to all be wearing sack, sackcloth and ashes. This, what's interesting is they are going exactly the opposite of the Republican campaign because if you wanted to ever have good, bad publicity over Tabor, now is when the, the author of it is actually locked up, like they want to lock up Hillary Clinton. Doug Bruce is behind bars. It's a good time to actually say, was this a good idea back in 1992? So it's kind of surprising that they're pulling back now since there have been so many efforts. I'm not sure there's ever going to be a good time to do it. And is there the political will? It looks like there may not be anymore. David, in full disclosure, the Independence Institute would likely be a key opponent of this ballot measure if and when it ever gets to the ballot. Were you surprised by it being pulled from this year's ballot? You're absolutely right about what the Independence Institute was, was planning to do, and we were planning to win on that one as, as well. The, the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights says that when gov government spending can automatically increase by inflation plus population growth, and if you want to have faster growth, just ask the people, and that's what this proposal would have done, and that's exactly how it should be done. I think they recognized uh, from polling the people were likely to say no. The state budget is at a record level by far. Just today it was announced they've got so much extra money, they're giving $55 million away in corporate welfare uh, to a company from Brooklyn uh, to move a headquarters here. And even though corporate welfare is outlawed by four separate clauses of the Colorado Constitution. And if there's pressure on other parts of the state budget, it's entirely because of Governor Hickenlooper's unilateral decision to increase Medicaid spending massively by participating in Obamacare. And that's a loophole in Tabor, that the governor can do something like that and that participation in federal joint state programs somehow is, is partly kept off the books. That's that We need to close that Tabor loophole. Well, somebody to get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week, as always. Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. I'm actually going to move out of politics, although Lord knows there's still plenty on the table from that, and go over to Utah, where Vail Resorts, which purchased the Park City Resort, decided they would try to do the same thing they had already done in Vail, which is trademark the name of Park City long-time institution in Utah, and the people fought back with good reason and with this great campaign calling them You're So Veil, just <laughs> for the nerve, the nerve to try to take over their town's name. So credit, good credit to them, bad on Veil. David. 
it's now come out that Iran's deal with Obama has a secret clause which allows Iran, even if they obey the deal, to develop nuclear weapons five years earlier. Obama lied to the people about this. He violated the law, the federal law that was specifically enacted to, to address this. Th this is a high form of malfeasance in office. In my view, it's an impeachable offense to lie falsely to Congress about a deal that allows a terrorist state to acquire nuclear weapons. Eric. We talked earlier in the show about the Colorado delegation to Cleveland and, 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 and gave them praise for sticking to their guns. And yes, they're worthy of the praise. But let us not lose sight of the fact that the Colorado process was a very flawed process. This was a process, and, and, and this is no brief either for Donald Trump. He knew what the ground rules were. The ground rules were established last summer. So his notion that somehow Colorado cooked the process was wrong. But this was a, not a participatory process. This was a process designed to minimize participation in the caucuses. There was not even a preference poll. At least the Democrats conducted a preference poll at these antiquated caucuses. The Republicans didn't even do a preference poll. It was an insider game designed to discourage participation, and it should be the last presidential race in which this process is employed. Natasha. Roger Ailes who had to resign under um, a lawsuit relating to sexual harassment of his newscasters. Um, the positive side there is the more cases like this, the more high profile they are, the more we can work towards a society that doesn't have sexual harassment as part of a workplace environment. Time to see something nice. Patty? Well, I want to say something nice, first of all, about my fan, Kathleen Pickering. Thank you so much. <laughs> and also to say something about Goody Gaskell, who had founded the Colorado Trail. She passed away last week. An incredible, incredible effort that she pushed through, and she leaves a wonderful legacy for this state. David. The events of this week make it more likely that more people will choose to vote their conscience, and some of them will vote for Dr. Jill Stein, the, the Green Party. Others will vote for two successful moderate Republican governors, Gary Johnson and William Weld, on the Libertarian ticket. And if they get to 15 percent in the polls, which they're almost at, they'll be in the debates. And if you add up New Mexico, where Johnson's from, Utah, which hates both Clinton and Trump, shows their good judgment and good values out there, Colorado, where Clinton and Trump are both very weak, and Texas, uh, which could be a conscious state as well, that could be in itself enough of a core of electoral votes so that neither of the two major party crooks gets 270 electoral votes. History indeed. Eric. It'd be fun. Cory Gardner, Senator Cory Gardner, he played his cards right in my mind in, in Cleveland at the convention. He didn't totally stay away. He went for a couple days. He waved the party flag, but he refused to wave the Donald Trump flag. He has refused to endorse. He did not join the 10 other senators up on stage. Uh, good for Cory Gardner, to quote David, of, 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 of voice of conscience. Natasha. A story that did get a ton of headlines this week because there's so much else going on, but Colorado is looking to add 30,000 skilled construction workers um, in the next seven years. If you talk to anyone in development, this is such a needed thing. They're pairing with the Emily Griffith Technical College. It's a really, it's a not it's sexy thing, but it's great news for this state and something we should pay attention to. And I'll let say something nice about this team. Colorado Inside Out won its fifth Emmy uh, last Saturday for our 1940 show from last year. Uh, everybody involved behind the scenes, uh, in front of the, the scenes, we had a, a wonderful time portraying it, and we're very happy for a great team win. That is all the time to, we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. As always, be sure to check out our podcast on iTunes and for CIO post-game segment on Twitter and Facebook. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.